Marcus Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality every Tuesday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Hey everybody, Magnus here. You know, it's a pretty simple concept, really, when you come right down to it. You've got a flour tortilla. You spread ground beef and or refried beans on it. Then you slather the shit in hot sauce and cheese. Roll it up, and there's your burrito. As I say, it's a pretty simple concept. I don't know why it is exactly then that people want to put just all kinds of stupid bullshit on there. Things like lettuce and tomato and all this all, all this other shit, right? I don't understand. That's not a burrito. That's a soft taco. And if you want a soft taco, go out and fucking get a soft taco, all right? But stop fucking up my burritos. Hey, your attention, please. This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Dr. Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Everybody, how's it going? Magnus here, and I just wanted to uh, put this little tag up at the front. This week's episode is actually sort of a continuation continuation of last week's episode. That episode ended up going kind of long. My discussion with uh, Professor Allen and Michael Bailey ended up just going a bit long, so I decided I was going to split our conversation up into two episodes. So. This week, we're going to be talking about a different comic, and so that's pretty much that. So, we're going to dive right into it. Our topic of conversation is going to be the Elseworlds uh, comic, Batman in Darkest Night. And so, here we go. Back to me, Michael, and Professor Allen. Okay. All right. Uh, is everybody ready? Mm-hmm. Hit it. Hello, welcome back to Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. We're continuing uh, the beginning of my Elseworlds miniseries, uh, Changing Gears Now, moving away from Superman Red Sun over to a different Elseworlds story. This is Batman in Darkest Night. And uh, I think Michael was kind enough to do the uh, summary last time. I think I'll do it this time. Coming from Wikipedia, this says... The story begins after Bruce Wayne's disastrous first attempt at crime-fighting. As he sits in his study, wounded, he pleads with his father for some means by which to terrify the criminals of Gotham City. Suddenly, a ghostly image comes from a bust before him, telling him that he has been chosen. The figure heals his wounds and leads him to a crashed rocket on his property. Inside, the dying Green Lantern, Abensur, gives Wayne his power ring and tells him to wait for contact from its masters. Bruce hides the rocket in the cave beneath his mansion and begins his crime-fighting career. His first mission is a botched robbery at a chemical plant overseen by the criminal Red Hood. Using a combination of, of his powers and his skills, Bruce manages to subdue the criminals and turn them over to Commissioner James Gordon. As Green Lantern flies off, Gordon tells District Attorney Harvey Dent that he mistrusts vigilantes, especially those with that much power. Shortly afterwards, the Guardians of the Universe give Bruce his first official mission. Stop the errant, power-hungry Sinestro who, ab who abuses his Green Lantern ring for personal gain. Bruce manages to subdue Sinestro, leaving the people he once dominated despondent. 
There's a lot of D's in there. When one of them, Kat Matui, says that Bruce is their hero, he gives her Sinestro's power ring before returning to Oa. Sinestro swears vengeance on Bruce before he's banished to Quard. Back on Earth, Bruce goes to Gordon and asks for help in figuring out the identity of his parents' killer without divulging his identity. Initially refusing, Gordon later sets to work and has almost found the answer when Sinestro appears and kills Gordon, then sets off. Sinestro finds Joe Chill and uses his power ring to absorb the man's mind. When Bruce shows up to investigate, he's ambushed by Sinestro, who exhibits dual personalities thanks to Chill's mind. Bruce manages to drive the criminal off, which leads Sinestro to, to acquire allies on Earth. Days later, Bruce has an encounter with two criminals, a superpowered and mind-altered Harvey Dent and Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. Thank you, Wikipedia, for telling me the bluntly fucking obvious. Though he defeats them, the pair escapes back to Sinestro, who watches as Bruce sets up a system of observer satellites in orbit. During his absence, Sinestro has been causing chaos on other planets in the sector, causing the Guardians to question Bruce's role as a lantern. However, he refuses to give up his ring, leading the Guardians to contact three other worthy candidates on Earth to also become Green Lanterns. Those are Clark Kent, Wonder Woman, and Barry Allen. Sometime later, Bruce is patrolling the city when four Lanterns, including Kat Matui, attack him and attempt to restrain him. Taking advantage of his distraction, Sinestro leads his forces to attack Bruce's cave, injuring Alfred in the process, and begins tampering with the power battery when the three new Green Lanterns appear and battle the villains. Bruce is subdued, but senses through the force, I guess, that Alfred is in, is in danger and regains his ring as it responds to his will. Rushing home, he finds that Alfred's dead and that Sinestro's escaped. The three Lanterns beg him to stay and teach them, but Bruce refuses asking them to protect the Earth while he hunts down Sinestro. And so, um, who was it who went first last time? Uh, Alan did, I think. Okay, so, uh, Michael, would you like to go first this time? Uh, this is a good example of when bad stories happen to good creators, because I, 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 like, I like the artist, I like the writer, but the problem with some Elseworld stories, especially when you're mixing heroes, is the desire on the part of the writer to not only combine, you know, the two heroes, but also their villains together. Mm -hmm. So Catwoman kind of becomes Star Sapphire. And Sinestro becomes the Joker. It was the same thing in Speeding Bullets, which was the first Superman Elseworlds, where it's almost like you're reading off my notes. <laughs> it's, you know, instead of uh, instead of being found by the Kents, young Kal-el is found by the Waynes, and Lex Luthor becomes the Lex Joker, or however you want to say that. So it, it's. Yeah. The idea of what would happen if Batman got a Green Lantern ring isn't really all that exciting of a premise to begin with for me. And then to see it played out like it is, it takes away everything that's kind of awesome about Batman. Because Batman isn't about superpowers. Batman isn't about fighting crime with a magic ring. He is about, you know, using his wits and his, you know, above Olympic level uh, athletic ability and martial arts training and detective uh, skills to kind of fight crime. And when you take that away from him, it makes the entire concept just uninteresting. Because why do I care about uh, Batman fighting crime as Green Lantern in Gotham City? And just the art is actually kind of like really bad in places. Like on page 18, when Sinestro is sent to Quard, what ha did he become a midget when he came to the uh, Antimatter universe where he's got this really tidy body but this really big head? And then him becoming the Joker was just, it didn't make sense. It, it really did. It was, it's so forced like, Oh, I absorbed his thing. So I'm going to go crazy. Ha 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 ha. And then at the end with all of the heroes being green lanterns, that just, that's just uninteresting, <laughs> especially with, uh, you know, you got Superman who apparently has superpowers and was raised by the Kents, but instead of going off to Metropolis and all that, he's going to sit there eating a sandwich in muddy overalls, which probably bothers Martha, 
I would add, that he's sitting there in the muddy overalls on the couch. Uh, and the Flash is Green Lantern. It's just like, wow, this and Wonder Woman is Green Lantern. It's, would it be awesome if everybody was Green Lantern? As a matter of fact, it wouldn't be awesome if everybody was Green Lantern. But, uh, I mean, I there's just nothing about this story I like, and there's so many things about it that I hate that I really... I, I feel like if I keep going, I'm just going to be spewing more bile. I mean, in the end, he doesn't even capture the bad guy. In the end, he flies off to capture the bad guy, promising that there might be a whole other uh, adventure with this, or as I would say, threatening us with another adventure of this. It's Please, just... Trentus, tell us there's not a follow-up and that we have to read it. Please. <laughs> I, I solemnly promise that there is not. But, uh... My thoughts, I'll just put it out on Front Street. This story is, in some ways, I would, it, I think it's a decent concept wrapped up in the shittiest possible execution combined with the blandest, most forgettable art possible without violating any laws of nature. I don't know what it is about some of these, like Michael was saying, I don't know what it, what it is about some of these Batman Elseworld stories that makes writers think they need to, create some kind of a fucking mashup but basically this is sort of the green lanternification of not only the batman mythos but maybe the entire dc universe but for sure batman is green lantern the joker is sinestro catwoman is star sapphire so on and so on there are some year one and killing joke references because hey it's the 90s but those are the only halfway redeeming parts about this story and except that these days both year one and the killing joker kind of played out and even if they weren't the references to them in this comic are they're drawn by jerry bingham and his dull jim apero wannabe style so i don't know the best you could say if you if you're a fan of those stories the best you can say is it's kind of a wash but the way i see it if jim apero circa 1978 got plastered on cheap whiskey and attempted to draw and ink a Batman story <laughs> while suffering from Satan's own case of the shakes, I could see it about ending up more or less like this. And maybe it's just because I'm sick to death of the Grant Morrison bat god, but man, oh man, did this story have a literary tongue right up Batman's asshole. I mean, holy shit. Now, in this issue, Batman takes on Superman... Wonder Woman, The Flash, Kat Matui, Tomari, Aresia, is that how you pronounce that? Aresia? Mm -hmm. Kilowog, Sinestro, and probably others I'm forgetting about. There's a point in the story where the Guardians basically deputize Wonder Woman, The Flash, and Superman to take Batman out after some of their other lanterns failed to do the job. And Batman's offense here is that he's not dealing with other problems in Sector 2814, and the Guardians want him to. But not a single fuck was given by Batman who wanted to stay home and keep an <laughs> eye out for Sinestro. Now, I could picture Batman not giving a crap what the Guardians say. And I could picture the Guardians sending a group of Lanterns to arrest Batman and drag his ass back to Oa to stand trial for insubordination. And I could even picture them deputizing other characters if those la Lanterns failed in the task. What I cannot in a thousand fucking years ever believe is that the Guardians would call it a day if Batman eventually agreed to patrol the rest of Sector 2814. And here's the thing. Barr, kind of, Mike Barr, fell into this all-too-common trap, like Michael said, of not ending the story. Gotham by Gaslight has a conclusion. Whether you love him or whether you hate him, each of the Doug Mensch, Kelly Jones books in the, that Elseworlds vampire trilogy, they all have their own conclusion. Fuck, if I even remember right, I think even Speeding Bullets has a conclusion. Yeah, at the end he becomes Superman. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. But apparently Barr thinks he can build up to some epic showdown between Batman and Sinestro and then not deliver on it. And not only that, but show the Guardians being happy that one of their own beat the snot out of everybody they sent to arrest him and is now following their orders only to the extent that it fits his own agenda 
After which, we'll be right back where we fucking started. Now, this is my way of saying I call bullshit on every last page of this story. You know what? I, no, I'm, I give it up. Uh, Professor, you're up. If I keep going with this, I'm going to die of a fucking coronary. <laughs> you know, we talked about we, – we, we picked some holes in Red Sun. And, you know, when you get into this idea of, of, of criticism – you know, after talking about Red Sun for however long we did, I ended up feeling that uh, I liked it less and less the more I talked about it. But taking the big picture, I really enjoyed that story. It was ambitious to say nothing else. This is so simplistic. And I, I think fundamentally, like, like uh, one of you pointed out, I was zoning out trying to review the, the book. Um, why is Bruce Wayne as a Green Lantern an interesting concept? The premise of the GL books and the GL core is that we've seen so many different types of people be Green Lantern. We've seen fish people. We've seen bird people. We've seen purple people. We've seen big Kilowog type people. We've seen planets. We've seen flies. We've seen every type of person be a Green Lantern. What's so compelling about putting another human not just another person from Sector 2814. It seems like for as much action as happens in Sector 2814, the only people worthy to be a Green Lantern all happen to be on Earth. I mean, the rest of the sector must really suck because <laughs> there's a whole lot of activity. It's a whole lot of danger, but not a single worthy being elsewhere in the entire sector. But what's so unique about Hal Jordan? I mean, about what's so unique about Bruce Wayne being a Green Lantern? We've seen hundreds of beings being a Green Lantern. So I think fundamentally, at the premise level, before we get to the execution, and what do I think about Mike Barr's execution? I think at this point it would be a good idea. No, that's an old joke. That's an old joke. Um, you know, the art was wonky. I know there was this weird Sinestro Joker sort of thing, mm -hmm. but sometimes I just hated the way he looked. That did not – the smile and the ears and the coloring, it just, it just did not work for me. Um, uh, it, was, it was quite – in, in, in retrospect, it makes me realize how, really how much I did enjoy Red Sun. <laughs> the sad part about the writing and the art is that this is the same team that gave us Batman's Son of the Demon, which for years right. was right. relegated to Elseworld status almost. But, you know, when you look through that artwork, Batman looks awesome throughout that entire book. And it's dynamic and the writing is compelling. And you have this story that really gets into the heart of who Bruce Wayne is and his relationship with Ra's al Ghul. And, sorry, Ra's al Ghul. I mean, didn't <laughs> Thank you, uh, Rachel Ghoul and, and you know his relationship with Talia, and why in the end that just wouldn't work, uh, which is which is really sad when you think about it. And you take that team, and I guess that maybe was the the, the elevator pitch uh, for this was, hey man, you know, we've got Mike W. Barr and Jerry Bingham. They did Batman Son of the Demon. Now they're going to do a Batman Elseworld story. And everyone's just like really excited because that sounds like, that, that sounds like a good idea. And it just didn't end up being that. And it's not Jerry Bingham's best work. And it's not Mike W. Barr's best work. Because both of them are capable of so much better than this. And I think that's what bugs me more than anything is that it could have been great. But then the more I think about it, I'm like, not really, because that's a pretty faulty concept. I mean, it's it's like, what if Wonder Woman became a Green Lantern? You know why it's interesting that Wonder Woman's not a Green Lantern? Because Wonder Woman's interesting on her own. You know, if, if you were going to say, what if somebody else on Earth became Green Lantern that wasn't a superhero, that would be a story worth telling. Yeah, they, they even started to do something like that in uh, Green Lantern 51, where this guy named Kyle, he was... A <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's just like, what if somebody else, what if Thomas Kalmaku became Green Lantern? Mm. You know, what if, you know, because he's pretty good, you know, pie face appearances in the Silver Age where he's treated kind of like a, 
mentally deficient person, which kind of bugged me. You know, what if Carol Ferris became Green Lantern? And, you know, I know I can hear people shouting now, well, Mike, you know, Hal Jordan's without fear. Bruce Wayne is without fear. Well, yeah, I understand that. But Bruce Wayne is more awesome being Batman than being Green Lantern at the end of the day. Yeah, and I, I, I like the DC cosmic and I like Batman, but it's two great tastes that don't taste great together. It's I, like I Spider-Man think, in space. Who cares? Yeah, I, I think there's just a fundamental misfit between those two pretty, you know, potentially really good concepts on their own and mashed together. It's it's not working. I mean, Batman works in the JLA because, one, you kind of have to – if you're going to have the Magnificent Seven, you have to have him be there. But at least in JLA, when he's dealing with something cosmic, you can deal with the fact that he is out of his element. I mean, I, 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 I agree with Trentus that – you know, and, and Grant Morrison's uh, the one that really popularized this, but that Batman is the most awesome thing ever and could take on Darkseid. It's the thing about that, you know, as much as I enjoyed the Batman Superman Apocalypse movie, which really should have been called Supergirl, but, you know, whatevs, Thanks. is that <laughs> Super... Or anytime Superman takes... Or I mean, anytime Batman takes Darkseid on physically, it drives me crazy. Because... I'm sorry. Superman's a dark side's a heavy hitter. Superman has problem with this guy. And you're going to tell me, okay, yeah, Batman kicked the Hulk in the stomach and knocked all the air out of him. And he got him to turn back to Bruce Wayne. That's interesting, but I'm sorry. If Batman kicks the Hulk in the stomach, his bad things should happen to him. Uh, on a physical level. Batman's a great character. Trent, Trentus and I kind of, diverge a little bit on you know i still as much i i think we're both annoyed by the same things i think we react to it differently i still like batman and i'm not saying that batman can't be put into different situations but batman at his core works as a street level character you know i'm i'm even a little fuzzy on batman in supernatural settings i think the only reason that's interesting is because he's a gothic character to begin with yeah yeah that yeah that's that's the connection there i think so, but I, uh, you know, in, in, in my head, you know, outside of, you know, outside of just loving the Batman TV series from the sixties on just as just how bat shit crazy that show could get here, here. Uh, um, I, I like Batman dealing with his rogues gallery. De- you know, you can put him in a global story because Rachel Ghoul is kind of a global character, but he works best dealing with Gotham. It's the, the fundamental difference between Superman and Batman, in my opinion, is that at the end of the day, Superman, not right away, but at some point in his career, has to start thinking globally. Because he can do so much, he's got to think, you know, I'm not just going to help the people in Metropolis, I'm going to help everybody. Batman's thrown up the double deuces, you know, you know, to the rest of the world going peace. Uh, you know, I'm out of here. Gotham is my is my shtick because that is where he lives. That is where his parents were killed. And that is his mission. You know, the rest of the world can go to hell for all Batman cares as long as he's taking care of things in his own hometown. And I think he works on that level. So to put him in a cosmic setting like this, uh, I, I got to agree with Alan, is that at the end of the day, you're mixing, you know, this isn't you put your chocolate in my peanut butter. This is you put your tofu in my peanut butter, and it's just not a good, and now somebody's going to write in and saying how much they love tofu and peanut butter. But uh, I hope not. But but no, it's, it's just Superman as Batman is interesting because... At the end of that story, he becomes Superman. You know, which says to me that at the end of the day, no matter what, and Red Sun kind of reflected this as well, no matter what, Superman is going to be Superman. And what this story says is at the end of the day, Batman, if given the opportunity, would be Green Lantern. And that just doesn't work for me. Well, and the the thing that... It's just like you said, I mean, Batman went to all the time, all the trouble and effort to, I guess, in a sense, kind of risk his life training to become uh, Batman. I mean, that by itself was a very dangerous thing for him to do. There was never any guarantee that he was going to come back home in one piece. And I don't think that he would necessarily be so blasé about 
writing off all of the self-discipline, not so much the time or the money or whatever else he'd spent doing all of this, but the self-discipline that, that he'd taken upon himself just to take what amounts to kind of cheating. Uh, take it, it's He's sort of cheating just, the, just by putting on the ring. And I think there's a – and I don't know what it is about, you know, the minute – maybe it's just because the concept is itself flawed, but – Something about making Batman anything other than what he is, it's got a demonstrable track record of of just sucking out loud. There was a um and now I'm blanking on it was a it was a story arc in that Superman Batman title because calling it World's Finest would be bad. Where <laughs> Super where Batman Superman lost his powers and somehow Batman picked him up. I've Forget. Yeah, I forget what that story was called, but I think Rags Morales did the artwork for it. Sounds right, uh, yeah. And, I, mean, I, I reviewed that storyline, and I can't remember what it was called. So, Well, it, well that kind of tells, <laughs> tells me a lot right there. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that on the surface, you know, it, as a one-time thing, not on an ongoing basis, but as a one-time thing, wow, what would Batman do with Superman's powers? And the answer to that is he'd be a complete dickhead. <laughs> you know and I don't know what it is that the minute you add something to Batman maybe it's just because the concept of Batman doesn't support him being anything other than what he is and I'm just stupid about it but it just kind of feels like there is some kind of potential to this but anytime somebody tries it, it it's it's not even worth the 10 or 15 minutes you spend reading it it's a cautionary fucking tale alright this is what can go wrong with your concept, you know? And, ah. Uh, well, uh, I, I, th- I, I think it's Batman as a character being part of one of the seven pillars of the DC universe, in my opinion, mm-hmm. serves a function. Wonder Woman serves a function. Green Lantern serves a function. Flash serves a function. They are unique. It's not that only one person can be the Flash or Green Lantern. Because I think it's been proven that you know you can have multiple, you can have different people in those identities, and it's still a viable concept, and actually kind of more interesting, especially in the, you know, in terms of you know Green Lantern and all that. But in the DC universe, they serve their functions; they are who they are supposed to be. And when you start mashing those up, yeah, you can get however like five, six bucks that this book was out of a person, but. The best Batman Elseworlds, and boy, are there a lot of Batman Elseworlds. Oh, my Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, on one hand, it's just like, man, why aren't there more Superman Elseworlds? And on the other hand, it's because eventually they start to suck. So aren't you glad that there aren't more? But, you know. Well, True Brit, I think, is maybe a good example of what can go wrong with a Superman Elseworlds <laughs> story, right? So, But, you know, it's like, what would Batman be like in the Civil War? What would Batman be like in the time of Jack the Ripper? And then, you know, the great thing about, you mentioned Gotham by Gaslight. Yes, it had an ending, but it also had a sequel that was still pretty cool. Well, no, Gotham by Gaslight had a conclusion. That Yeah, it had a conclusion to it. That, yeah. that, that story concluded. Anyway, so, sorry, I, I cut you off. Go ahead. But, 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 you know, what would it be like if Batman lived in a theocracy and had to fight against that? And in those circumstances, it's interesting to see what happens to the other heroes, especially in Holy Terror, where poor Barry Allen. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for him in oh, that story wow, yeah. with what they did for him. But it's but it's a cool co- What if Batman was in the time of Al Capone? What if Batman was a detective for the FBI? You know, those work because you're playing with the core concept. Batman is one of the few characters you can do with that. There was a what if a couple years ago about what if Captain America came about in the Civil War. And I think that all Captain America origin stories that do not take place in World War II are just useless to me. Right, Right. Because he was created a specific time for a specific reason. And if you try to create that for World War I or the Civil War, it doesn't work. Because how can you create the concept of what it is to be the ultimate American when America itself is at war with itself? Now, is that an interesting idea? Yes, but at the end of the day, it's going to fall short of being a decent story because you're not going to be able to do as much. You know, he's not going to be the same character. Batman can. 
And my wife says Captain America as a slaver could be an interesting story. Uh, I don't need but, to read that story, actually. That's just my opinion. I don't think I but, need to. Uh, but Batman can still be Batman no matter where you put him. Because that idea of the lone vigilante striking out on his own because something really bad happened to him when he was a kid can happen. It's like why Superman kind of works in any era. Because you can have that ship land, and as long as two good people find him, as we proved in Red Sun, you know, he's still going to be Superman. You can't say that for a lot of characters. You can't have... I mean, steampunk Iron Man would probably be visually interesting, but that's pretty much where that story would end being interesting to me. So, Well, you know what? You you brought up a couple of points, and that's actually kind of helped me, I guess... I don't know. uh, Articulate my own uh, view about this it was these characters don't really they they don't represent concepts they represent worldviews and whenever right. you blend those worldviews together that's where the problem comes from i mean whatever I, I guess batman at his at his most pure mingled with the values of green lantern at its most pure you end up bring it wow so i guess I, I I didn't really completely connect to what the professor had said until literally just this moment. They are the the two great tastes that do not taste great together. Wow. Okay, so now I'm saying it. So wow, we go from the two great tastes that don't taste great together to mixing your soy with your peanut butter. Now, finally, Magnus understands what these two are talking about. That's that's just great. Well, 30 minutes, folks. It was well spent, right? So <laughs> it, it is interesting that there are some characters not just in. Not just in comics, but, you know, Sherlock Holmes has worked for 100 years in different contexts. You know, it, it, now as a public domain character, he's shown up in, in various iterations, in comic books and TV shows. He's been put in the far future. He's been put in the current day. He's been put in steampunk worlds. And there's just something about the concept of that character. And I think it's one of the strengths of a Holmes. And I think it's one of the strengths of a Batman is that 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 character is so fully formed that's almost why mashups might not work with those characters because the characters themselves are so strong as they are well and you know as you say that one of the things that my mind kind of flashed back to was um the shadow now i'm a shadow fan from way back right loves me some shadow but one of the things i kind of have to acknowledge is that if you put the shadow as sort of a, I don't want to say campy, but sort of just a very silver agey type of character in the '60s, it doesn't work. You put the shadow into the modern day, or um, well, what, what at the time was the modern day 1980s, in a sort of Wall Street type of New York t- uh, sort of setting, where he uses fucking Uzis. Um, this too doesn't work. So I guess my question: What is it about? Batman that makes him so timeless while characters like home uh, he and Holmes make them so timeless while characters like the shadow or kind of or I you spider-man even you could say are sort of confined to a very specific era because I, I think it, well with the shadow specifically I think he works in that 1930s era as of when he was created because so many action heroes have come since that you know like the the the, the man striking out to take care of the wrong go, wrong doings in his you know his city you know the shadow just looks cool in a in a 1930s setting i think batman specifically is because he had to adapt to the times to stay relevant and stay current with the the marketplace i think that's why Batman, even more than Superman, can work in in different milieus. You can have the Batman television series from the 60s, and you can have Batman Brave and the Bold, and those are just as legitimate. And some people who know me are probably going to be like, WTF, Mike, what what are you saying? Those are just as legitimate as the Nolan Batmans. I don't like the Nolan Batmans, but that's still Batman, end of the day. You know, and some people hold that to their hearts as their Batman, and I just say we are going to agree to disagree and not get into this conversation because it's going to end with one yelling at the other 
Oh, I'll say it. I, their, their priorities are completely fucked up, and they don't know what Batman's <laughs> all about. I said it. The email address for your hate mail is Prentismagnus <laughs> gmail.com. But, but I think Batman is so adaptable because he can be the fun, you know, like, you know, like just he's out there. He's just punching out the bad guy, and he's got this cool car, and he's got this Batcave, and little kids can glom onto that and love it, and then the adults can go, "Wow, what a." What a dark backstory. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, that episode of the Superpower show of Galactic Guardians where they showed Batman's origin was like the first time as a kid, I was just like, oh, Batman's got kind of a, that's sad. And, you know, as a kid, you know, being like, what was I, eight when that came on? Or eight, eight or nine? It was just like, that's that's as good as you were going to get out of that Michael Bale in terms of critical analysis of something is that's sad, (laughs) but you know, they don't focus on that for for the stuff geared towards kids because you don't want to depress the shit or scare the shit out of a kid. You really don't. You just want to have him be Batman and fun. And then you can grow up and learn the, the psychological trappings of the character Holmes. You know, you can put him in any situation. You can make him be house, and it still works as a Sherlock Holmes type thing where he has a, a disability and, and, you know, he's got a, 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 a chemical dependency and all that. It's not something you can do with every character. And I think that speaks to the heart of what makes Holmes and Batman special as fictional characters. Batman has many fathers and I'm not just talking about who created him. I'm talking the influences upon him. The shadow is one of them, you know, and, and, and that pulpy type of character, Sherlock Holmes is one of them. And I think that to us, you know, and some people like want to hit Superman and Batman and those characters as saying, well, they're just mashups of this. You know, people will criticize the Incredibles for being a fantastic full ripoff. But at the end of the day, I think that sometimes with some characters, you distill it to that perfection. You've gotten it to that point where this is how it works in in, in, in this setting. So that's what makes Batman unique. And that's why, again, you know, we've been kind of harping on this point. It's why making Batman another superhero doesn't work for me. Because he's good enough on his own. You you you've you you you've mixed up the chemicals. You've played with your your character chemistry set, and you've gotten this. And you really you know, and you can do different things with it. But you really don't need to stray away from it. You know, and there are some people that love Batman in the fifties, and love the 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 Batman going off to other planets and stuff. I could care less about that stuff. But at the same time, that's Batman to some people. So. I just think I, I just think he's just so unique and so special in that uh, under those circumstances that you really don't have to fuck with him too much. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a pretty basic, you know, uh, basic backstory that you know in terms of the, you know, the quote unquote origin story that really can apply. It seems at pretty much any time where you have a, a tragedy that has a a psychological basis and, and, you know, maybe, maybe because it is such a true psychological, you know, that, that, that origin story is so resonant that, that it can apply in other places. And, and to an extent, I mean, I, I'm a huge Holmes fan, so I've been, you know, sort of writing and thinking about Holmes a lot. And I, 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 I think the idea of a character who is smarter than everyone around him, including including the police including those in authority it's i think is always appealing as well especially if there's a weakness uh, a a debilitating humanizing factor to him and 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 to some extent in the in the comic book world you know batman's weakness is his physical uh, capabilities which as we've all sort of grumbled and complained about seem to be uh Something that the current crop of creators aren't willing to admit that Batman has any physical weaknesses. Uh, I was talking with uh, with my daughter Emily uh, today. Um, she's reading through some some early Batmans for her own solo podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age, which is excellent, by the way. Thank you. There's, yes, she's. Uh, I I take full credit for that. 
Um, but, <laughs> just like, as, as you complimented her and I said, thank you. Yeah. Uh, father's pride, I guess. Uh, but in that, she was just, we we're just looking at a scene and there's a, just a scene where um, Ra's al Ghul gets the drop on Batman and Batman turns around and is surprised. And of course, if that were 30 or 40 years later, you know, Batman would have known that Ra's al Ghul was on his way before Ra's al Ghul had thought about it himself. Right. And certainly would have had, you know, 17 traps in place along the way. But, you know, he, he, he got the drop on him and surprised him. And that's cool. Well, and if, if that's actually um, – and now we really are kind of maybe going off topic, but fuck it. Um, that sort of era of um, Batman was something I hadn't really paid a whole lot of mind to because my Batman really kind of starts around well, – I guess starts with, with year one. If I had to put a thumbtack in the map, I, that's probably where, where it starts, right? So anything before that I hadn't really paid a whole lot of attention to or thought much about until I started – Listening to um, uh, Bailey's Batman podcast, I forget the host name, some asshole, but um, it's, it's, uh, I he think is it was kind a, of a jerk, by the way. Think, I just uh, I want to put think, it out think there. It was Bailey from WKRP in Cincinnati? It's probably that, prob- that could that be Bale? the same guy. So. Yeah. So um, anyway, but uh, you know, there was honestly, it was a it was a perspective on the character I hadn't really given much heed to, I, I guess. But one of the one of the I guess big selling points was that Batman is fallible. You know, you can catch him off guard. He can misjudge a situation or he can make a mistake. And well, I guess number one, that's, you know, that, that can lead to a lot of, a lot of interesting stories. But I guess in, like in terms of the more day to day, that's all of us. You know, I've never misjudged a situation when I was about to dive into a, a, a group of gangbangers in the middle of a crack deal and maybe things went south. I've never made errors in judgment quite like that. But, I mean, everyone understands that moment where you, I don't know, you just you completely drop the nachos and you make a mistake of your own. That, that There's something about that that's inherently believable. And the, this is a Batman... Um, you get into it more like in the late eighties and I'm thinking even here, I'm mean, people want to blame, you know, Grant Morrison with Al, I did it myself. But you know, the more you think about it, this is, it, it's something that kind of maybe started coming around in the early nineties where Batman could not make a mistake. And it kind of surprises me that, you know, people, you know, bash on, you know, Superman for being too perfect and, um, and, and all of that when, Honestly, Batman, you could say he's got a, at least these days, he has a lot of the same literary weaknesses, but it never, no, no one ever calls him out on it. And it's, it's really weird, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, there's really no ending to that diatribe, so I'm just going to say full body massage. <laughs> Anybody want a full body massage? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, you guys got anything else for this, or. No, I, I think it speaks to the strength of the story that we talked about more about other things than this story. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's very true. That's very true. The best thing about it is that it was a jumping off point to talk about other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, anytime you can work the shadow into a conversation, dude, I am all on that. So, All right. So, uh, Professor Allen, you're up first. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Well, I'm a member of the rotation of co-hosts on the Book Guy Show, where we cover books that have words but no pictures, as well as comic books, podcasts, and anything else we that think relates. That didn't sound snooty at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has the we we I, I I am on there as the comic book guy, and at least at least two and a half of the four hosts are comic book guys to some extent or another. So. Uh, Take that in the loving spirit that it was intended. Okay. And then I also host the Quarterbin podcast and co-host Shortbox uh, Showcase with Emily, which are both online and in iTunes as part of the Relatively Geeky Network. And we have been uh, honored to have uh, email feedback from both Mr. Magnus and Mr. Bailey. Excellent. Excellent. So, Mr. Bailey, how about you? Uh, where, where can people find you? Um, well, I guess listen solo- to any podcast, really. But but seriously, though, where where can they find you? <laughs> Why does everybody say that? Uh, 
my main show, my solo show, I guess I should say, is Views from the Long Box, www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Uh, there I occasionally have guest hosts. Sometimes I'm by myself, but anything goes, really. I I tend to uh, try to keep that as my, hey, I, I really want to talk about this, so that, and I don't want to do an entire podcast about it because podcasts are like tattoos and, and crack cocaine. Once you start, you really can't stop uh, getting them or doing it or sitting there cracked out in a house hoping that the Wi-Fi from next door will be up so you can upload your latest episode. Um, <laughs> there is From Crisis to Crisis, which has been on a bit of a break this month, mainly because my co-host Jeffrey Taylor has been moving uh, from one part of California to the other, which is much like kind of moving across the country uh, with how big California is as a state. And uh, I can't relate talk- to that. And there we talk. Yeah, I was about to say I've, I've rode through Texas. That was a, that was an f- interesting experience. Uh, Whataburger, very awesome, by the way. Got to say that. Amen. Um, for, from Crisis Crisis, we cover the Superman that existed from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to the Superman that uh, existed in Super- Adventures of Superman uh, number 649 in 2006. 20 years we have gotten through the death. We are in the post-death uh, long hair. It wasn't a mullet period. It was shaggy. He had shaggy hair, wasn't it? He had shaggy <laughs> Now I'm thinking of one of my temporary, oh my, uh, not temporary, one of my semi-regular co-hosts on Views, Shag. Uh, I also am on <laughs> Comics Monthly Monday over at Two True Freaks. Very happy to be part of that. Uh, there are other shows on the Two True Freaks Network you can hear me on. I've been on episodes of Back to the Bins. Even though we haven't done a new episode in well over a year, there are 70 some odd episodes of Tales of the Justice Society of America that you can listen to. Uh, that, Scott- that is one of the great comic book podcasts, I must say. Uh, here, here. It it really is. Every time Scott and I get together to do an episode, there's like it's like everything comes together for some reason. It's it's a pleasure to do, and I think it's because we both love the the material so much. Uh, I am on episodes of Pad Smash, which is a Hulk podcast. I've kind of stepped away from that because I'm trying because my real life has just kind of not so much kicked me in the nuts, but rolled me into a, threw me in a barrel and pushed me down a hill into a hell. So um, there's just uh, there's just a lot going on. So I'm trying to get everything together and, and focus on uh, the other shows that I've been doing longer. But Pad Smash is a fantastic show where J. David Weeder, Lee Busby, and I were talking about the Peter David era of the Incredible Hulk, well, that's uh, cool. which is why it's called Pad Smash. Um, and I have a blog, Fortress of Bailey Tude, where every day, even when I forget to and have to do it late, like I did today. Uh, I post something to do with Superman because uh, I, I don't know if anybody knows this. I like Superman. I you had not that gotten hidden. that memo, you, actually. Yeah, you keep that hidden pretty well. <laughs> um, now, I thought that there was a Fantastic Four podcast that you were involved with. No, the, the, I, I was on the Fantastic Cast. Which was, uh, which was a great uh, it's a great show hosted by Stephen Lacey and Andy Leyland. Uh, but and I was on for technically we recorded two episodes worth of material, but they stretched it out into four last year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but no, I, 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 I and I mean, I, I guess if we're going to talk about defunct podcasts that I'm involved with, Bailey's Batman podcast hasn't been up recently, but that's still out there as well. So, all right, <laughs> well, well, all right. So I, I, I hate going through all the stuff I do because. I'm worried it either makes me sound like a madman or egotistical. I don't really know how it comes off, really. I was going to say lazy, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, um, uh, Michael, did you, have you ever watched um, uh, Oscar, an Oscar de la Hoya uh, boxing match? Yes. What a, uh, And did you ever see a Roy Jones Jr. boxing match? I think I have. All right. I'm pretty sure. They have the... Basically, the... Uh, the Michael Bailey equivalent of an introduction. Former <laughs> lightweight champion 
former <laughs> welterweight champion, former heavyweight champion. You can just think of yourself as the uh, Oscar de la Hoya of the podcasting community. It used to be you were the Steve Gutenberg, then it became you were the Kevin Bacon. Now you're the Oscar de la Hoya. Does that work for you? That's fine. Well, except for dressing up in women's clothes, as far as I know. Uh, no, I look terrible in a dress. Really? Oh, okay. All right. Well, well, this means that Trentus and I have now podcasted with everybody that Michael Bailey has ever podcasted with. I know, and I feel kind of used. I feel very cheap and, and I dirty. I think I need to be tested. I, I would, like, right now. Because yeah, Chris Honeywell is one of those people. That, and so is Jeffrey Taylor, so. Well, actually, yeah, and you're getting that from both sides, because I've done... Ah! I'm, I've I've uh, done episodes with uh, Chris Honeywell myself. I did a three-hour episode about conspiracies with him. So I feel like I've done. <laughs> oh, good it God! <laughs> I'm surprised it was only three hours long. We had to cut it off. We basically it was about the uh, the uh, big book of uh, of uh, of uh, conspiracy theories. Oh, the the what big, was big that? book of Urban Press. Yeah, I know Paradox. Right. Paradox, Paradox Press. Paradox. Excuse me. Yeah. Same same difference, but yeah, um, and basically the way that I've got it set up is that I'll do six regular episodes, something to do with um, the big book, and then another one following that, something to do with Star Wars, then six more episodes, back to the big book, back to Star Wars, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. And so he sat in for uh, the big book of Urban Legends, and then uh, this episode, at the time we record this, uh, this episode hasn't come out yet, but we also did a... Uh, one for um, the big book of uh, conspiracies that ended up going for three fucking hours. I mean, one of the things I used to like about Trent as a show is that he would cover like seven issues of something in 30 minutes. Yeah, those days are gone. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Yeah, you, you always start out small. What are you, what, what are you suggesting? Uh, views from the Long Box used to be like a half hour long. I don't know if I could do that now. Yeah, my... My my episodes of the quarter bin have gone from 16 minutes to 18 minutes to 21 minutes to – I need to reel that in. Um, honestly, this is going to sound maybe like a dick thing to say, but um, what I like about a quarter bin is that you've got a very clear premise. You have a point that you're wanting to make, You you and, and, and the point of making your, your point, you also crack some jokes. It's – it's really entertaining. It's really well produced, and I really enjoy it. I mean, I, you know, there's, I, it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm saying thank you for shutting up, and I'm not. <laughs> I, no, I like I, 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 I do like the short form comic book podcasting that Thomas DJ and Tom Caters, uh, Dave Elliott has almost 300 episodes of the Fantastic Four podcast that all run Steve about. Stephen Lacey has. Yeah, uh, Steve Lacey with 20 minute too. long box. I like. I just. I like that. I think for a solo show, I think I think what what you do, Mike, with the solo shows running you know, 45, 60, 75 minutes, that just seems like a heck of a lot of work. Well, here's the thing. It, it really depends on, on what your mileage is. You know, some people I, I, I have suggested on air in the past, I'm going to cut down on the length and I get deluged with emails right. saying, don't cut down on the length. I like it because I work all night or I drive cross country or I, you know, I have a long commute or whatever. And then there are the people that are like, your show's too long. And to those people, I say, I understand, you know, I understand where you're coming from when you say that you think the show is too long. I understand where you're coming from, where you want the show to be longer. And I, I think where people get into trouble is that they think that that's the only way you can do a show. Right. is to do it long form or to do it short form because it's a big internet. These are free. You have a choice. Now, obviously I, I was a podcast listener for many, many years before I was a podcast uh, maker. And one of the great things about podcasts is the variable nature of them is that you know, I, I like having a variety of hour long podcasts on my iPod or a two and a half hour Trentus Magnus Opus. Trentus Magnus Opus. I see what I did there. Um, or the 20-minute shows. I just like having that variety. I think it works for me as a listener, as opposed to traditional radio and TV, where something has to be a specific, to fit into a specific length of time. You can go as short or as long as the topic dictates. Well, and one of the things that um, that I noticed when I started listening to Tales of, of the JSA, it was... It wasn't just that they were talking just about the story. I, I don't think I've got it in me to do this, but 
they weren't just talking about the story. They were bouncing ideas off of each other. They were, t- and it, it it was maybe at, at no offense, Michael it was maybe at best tangentially related to the story. Yeah. But they were talking maybe also about um, ads that are in the comics and you know things like that. So they're talking you know uh, really about a, a lot of different things. And my attitude about the subject is. They get to the if all you want to hear is them talk about the comics, they will get to the comics. But you know, there are plenty of us who kind of enjoy listening to people talk shop about comics, and we're getting the itch, the itch scratch too. So I don't think it's something that you should set out to do. Like if this if this show isn't three hours long, you're wasting your fucking time. But at the same rate, I kind of liked that they made. And again, I say this with all love and love and affection. I appreciated this. They didn't really try to artificially rein themselves in. They were perfectly content uh, content to have two hour shows every single time out. And I I really liked it. I appreciated that about it. So um, I I haven't I don't think I've consciously set out to try and to try and copy that. But I just I, I like that style and I like that for I like them as people. And so that's really. To me, that that's the best kind of podcasting that you have a very rough framework within which you you're operating, but then you you have at the same time the, the flexibility to talk about some really weird email that you received, some nut job sent you, and he's threatening your lives and stuff. And isn't this just kind of weird? And then you're talking about ads in the comics and reenacting twink, uh, Twinkie ads and all this stuff. And then you talk about I don't. I just there's so much more there that that you can talk about just within the pages of one comic book, and they were not afraid uh, to do that. And I just I liked it. So I'm rambling. There, there's a couple things that you touched on there. One end of the day, as long as it's entertaining, I, I think to, I, I you could have a a podcast that is 20 minutes that is boring as hell. Hey, but I'm they, I'm right here, Mike. I'm right here. <laughs> Sir, I love your show. <laughs> Shut up. I love all of your shows. I love you by yourself, and I like you talking to your daughter. Uh, oh, thanks. I, I I think the whole... I love the fact that the network is called Relatively Geeky, because you're relatives. That, that makes you, me smile. I didn't even get that until just you now, so thank you for that, making Mike. me feel stupid. Um, but... As long as it's entertaining, I, th- I think the show will find an audience. I personally have a very, I don't want to call it a like, like mental deficiency or anything like that. But when I'm in a conversation with somebody, I will jump subjects just based on a sentence that we're saying when we're like me and a buddy will be talking about one thing. Then we're talking about another. Then we're talking about another. Then we're talking about another. And I never even noticed that it happens. Mm-hmm. So that's just me as a person. And especially when you get me together with Scott, especially Scott and I will find an ad and can literally spend 30 minutes talking about it. Not only talking about the ad, the artwork, what it means to us, the toys we had, stuff like that. And I think what it does is it makes you feel and this is the the most common compliment. And I don't really focus on the, the positive feedback I get for the show because I think it sounds egotistical. But the most the consistently positive thing that I hear about any of the shows that I do is that they feel like they're sitting there talking with me. And I think when you can do that, when you can get make people feel like that, they'll go down whatever road you take them as long as you as long as you're keeping and entertaining them and not being an asshole. Professor, you're taking notes here, right? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Aren't aren't you recording this? I, you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of audio just my whole life in terms of, of listening to whether it's radio or podcasts or whatever. And there really is something that – I know they're video podcasts as well, but I do think there's something different about audio that is strangely more compelling, more intimate, more personal than watching something. And I, I think inviting someone in you know, to listen to them is – it's just – it's a different relationship. Agreed. Okay, so um, I guess we're good? Yeah. All right, cool. All right, well, thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and thank you to uh, my guests, the second and third uh, that I've ever had on this show. Appreciate uh, both of you taking the time to join me today, and uh, take it easy. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen. 
and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman wait, wait, from... Wait, 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 I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world, and when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S. M-A-G-N-U-S Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday and that's a promise Did you know? 
You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus, Punches Reality, is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. Thank you.